Uh, I want to start off with what's a little bit of a word of personal privilege, I guess. Um, yesterday was my youngest child, John, uh, birthday. He <laughs> my wife told me right before the service started I needed to wake up. Um, John was born December 21st, 1995, and so he is now 24 years old. My youngest child is 24 years old. Hard for me to even wrap my mind around that. Uh, Brendan and I were talking about that the other day. We were talking about that day in 1995 and that whole week that transpired. And I know this is going to sound weird, uh, but in all seriousness, we, we both agreed that it was both simultaneously uh, a wonderful time and a very terrible time. And I'll explain why. Um, I was pastor of El Dorado uh, United Methodist Church. And that's a very small town about 55 miles south of San Angelo. And about a week before John was born, uh, there was a lady in our church that was murdered. Uh, she was, I think, about 34 years old, and her estranged husband uh, walked into the house and, and shot her dead in front of her children and some of the neighborhood children that were in the house at that time as well. Mercifully, he let the children go and then eventually turned the gun on himself and committed suicide. And to say that we were devastated doesn't even begin to describe it. She was the glue that held that little family together. And that family had been through a lot already. Uh, she was beautiful inside and out. She had the biggest, most giving heart. She uh, was intelligent, smart capable, just this amazing young woman, and I, I'll never forget walking into that little funeral home, and there her body lies in that coffin, and it just felt like all the air went out of my lungs. I couldn't breathe. I couldn't think. Well, and to this day, it was the biggest funeral I've ever officiated over. There were people standing outside. They couldn't even get in. And it was December. It was cold. But they stayed outside. They were not leaving. They were going to honor that family as best they could and be in solidarity with them. I was exhausted after spending the week dealing with that and trying to get ready for Christmas for the church and trying to get ready for Christmas for my family. We had two other children, five and seven years old, and my wife being extremely pregnant, uh, just everything. And at the end of that funeral, I was just exhausted. We got in the car and we drove up to San Angelo. Brenda had to go to a doctor's appointment, and we had promised the kids that we would go to Burger King. And when you live in a little tiny place like El Dorado, Burger King's a pretty big deal, okay? <laughs> and we were going to go to Burger King, and we were going to go to the theater. We were going to see Toy Story, the original movie. 
And so we went, and the doctor told Brenda, she said, I don't think you should even go home. I think by the time you get home, you're going to be in labor, and you're going to have to turn around and come back. Uh, you might as well stay here. And so this is our third child. We're pros, right? So we went to Burger King. <laughs> and we went to the theater. And about somewhere in the middle of that movie, Brenda leans over and she says, about how long do you think this movie's going to last? <laughs> and I said, I think we're about halfway through, but just out of idle curiosity, why do you ask? And she said, well, I'm starting to go into labor. Well, again, we're all pros, so we stayed till the end of the movie. <laughs> and we're parents. You don't just pull your kids out of Toy Story in the middle of it. They would, they would hate that third child forever if you did that. <laughs> they would blame it all on this unborn child. And so we did what we needed to do. John was born the next morning. It snowed that night. A rare Christmas snow, or at least as close as you can hope for in Texas. And I remember looking out the window of our hospital room very early in the morning and thinking how beautiful it was. This beautiful new fallen snow, our beautiful new son in his bassinet, how beautiful and wonderful and joyful and awful and tragic and broken it all was, all at the same time. And that's how the world can often be, right? It can be wonderful and amazing and beautiful and horrible and tragic beyond belief. All at the same time. In the paper this week were letters to Santa. And I love letters to Santa. I love that part of Christmas. And there are times when I wish Christmas could just be that. It could just be the light shine in children's faces could just be about eggnog and turkey and and then New Year's turkey sandwiches it could just be about that but it's not we live in this world that keeps turning this tragic beautiful world and and it's actually about everything Christmas is about everything and when you stop to really think about that it's, good, it's a good thing that it's about everything. Because everything needs redeeming. Everything needs saving. Everything needs forgiveness. Everything needs reconciliation. Most of our more sentimental images of Christmas come from the Gospel of Luke. The birth story of Jesus is only in two places, Matthew and Luke. And in Luke, you get the shepherds watching over their flocks by night. In Luke, you get the angel choirs singing hallelujah. And in Luke, you get Mary and Joseph and the baby in the manger and silent night, holy night, little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. I've never believed that, actually. 
Matthew's story, though, Matthew's story of, of Jesus always seems more kind of raw and real, um, worldly, you might say. In Matthew, it's Joseph. And Joseph who doubts Mary's fidelity. And he's ready to call the whole wedding off. He's ready to drop her. And this angel, and in Greek, angel just means messenger. This messenger comes to talk him out of it. To hang in there with Mary. Even though there's scandal upon them. In Matthew, there's politics and intrigue as King Herod feels threatened by the possibility of a new and more legitimate king and so sends his soldiers into the village of Bethlehem to kill. There's Mary and Joseph and Matthew as they scoop up Jesus and what little they have and, and they flee to Egypt, a foreign country. They become immigrants to a foreign country just to save their own lives and it reads like something out of today's newspapers. In Luke's gospel it says that there was all in a barn among animals. I can't even imagine how terrifying that must have been for them. How unsafe and how dangerous that was to both mother and child. It says there was no room for them. Years ago my very first District Superintendent Prinza Woods, a marvelous, sweet guy, he preached on that verse. Prinza was an African-American preacher, and he pointed out that it doesn't say that there wasn't room in the inn. It says that there was no room for them. And then he began to talk about his own experiences. Back in the early 50s, he wanted to go to the University of Texas, but was not admitted because he was a black man. And he said there was room. There just wasn't room for me. His family lived in San Antonio. He said there were nice restaurants that they would have loved to have gone to, but they couldn't for them. And they traveled, and there were hotels they would have loved to stay. And so what this tells you is, is something about Mary and Joseph. You know, in all times, but especially in their time, if, if you have money, there's room. If you have power and privilege, there is always room. And so what we know for sure is that for Mary and Joseph, there's no room. They have no money, no resources, no power, no prestige. And they end up in a dangerous place. And the whole thing about Jesus being conceived by the Holy Spirit. You know, back then, people were just as smart as they are now. They understood where babies come from, and they knew how to count to nine. And they know that somehow this baby is conceived out of wedlock. The virgin birth can often be a, a scandal to us, a stumbling block for us modern scientific people. But I think we forget that it, it was a scandal back then. And Mary and Joseph had their own questions and doubts about it. It was just as much a, a mystery to them as it is to us. And Joseph, who, who agrees to this journey, knowing that for the rest of his life, his little family is going to be the source of gossip and scandal 
in illegitimacy. It seems to follow Jesus even into his adult life. There's a couple of places in the Gospels where they're being critical of Jesus, uh, his hometown people, and they say, we know who his mother is, Mary. They don't even mention Joseph. It's almost as if they're saying, we don't really know who his daddy is. So I got to thinking about this. I got to thinking about this on our church walk to Bethlehem. If you are given some low status by the culture you live in, either economically or socially, or you don't have enough education, or you don't have the right kind of status, the right kind of in-group, the right kind of resources, the right kind of wealth, where do you go? Well... I think you might go to cowboy church. And that's, um, that's where we are today. I've been doing this walk through Israel to Bethlehem. We started off in first church downtown Jerusalem. We went down to the Jordan River to Wilderness Baptist Church. We went up north to the Galilee to Capernaum, charismatic church. And now we walk all the way back down to Bethlehem, just a few miles from Jerusalem, to go to Bethlehem Cowboy Church. Now, maybe I'm overstating it. Uh, I know it's more complicated, and there's a lot more reasons for Cowboy Church than this, this, but how many times, how many countless times over the years have I heard people tell me why they really don't want to come to the church I'm serving. That somehow they don't feel like they fit in. They're not middle class enough. Um, they feel like they're not together enough. Oh, I, I go to AA. I'm a recovering alcoholic. I can't imagine that your church would want me to be in your church. Somehow I'm not good enough. I'm not educated enough. I'm not white enough. I don't speak English well enough. A thousand reasons why you don't fit in. And so where do you go when you don't fit in? Well, you go and find a group of people who sort of feel the same way you do. You don't entirely fit in like Mary and Joseph. I, I think uh, it's true that a lot of Methodist pastors tend to look down their noses at Cowboy Church, and probably I've been guilty of that as well. We're a tradition that prides itself on an educated clergy, and a lot of times in those little Cowboy Churches, that's not nearly as true, and so we look down our noses, and that's exactly the point. Where do you go if you don't have a master's degree in theology? Where do you fit in in a world that keeps telling you you don't really fit in? Mary and Joseph don't fit in, and they still don't fit in. This whole thing about virgin birth, people have quit the church. People have quit the faith because of that doctrine. We say, I believe in the virgin birth during the Apostles' Creed, and some people get hung up on that and say, I just can't go there, and if that's what, what I'm required to believe, then maybe this just isn't the faith tradition for me. I test-marketed this sermon on somebody 
about going to Cowboy Church, and he said, oh, yeah. He says, I think that's right on. He said, Jesus was a cowboy. I said, how do you figure that? He says, well, on Palm Sunday, it says that he rides on an unbroken colt into town, and only a cowboy could do that. <laughs> Jesus just doesn't fit into our categories. He explodes them. We want Jesus to be a good Methodist or a good Baptist. We want Jesus to be a good American. We think that Jesus surely would be a Republican, surely would be a Democrat, surely would be just like us. And Jesus just keeps exploding every category and becomes something for everybody and yet belongs to nobody. The, vir the doctrine of the virgin birth is, is not a, a scientific statement or a gynecological issue. It is a theological witness and a theological claim experience Jesus. It, it's to say that somehow the Holy Spirit is in Jesus, that there is divinity, holiness, God's own self in a way that no one ever has been or will be. And if that's not true then Jesus is just another man. Jesus is just another person. And how are we going to be saved if Jesus is not really any different than anybody else? I don't know why we think we can save ourselves. The biggest section in the bookstore is the self-help section. And are we better? We should be perfect by now with all that wisdom and all that help. But we know that every time we put our faith in the next big politician, the next big celebrity, the next big wisdom guru, that that's going to save us, and it doesn't. I, I need a savior. I need someone who can actually save us from this beautiful but tragic and broken world. And the virgin birth wants to claim that, that there's something about Jesus that Jesus was born of a woman, that Jesus is absolutely like us, that Jesus knows what it's like to experience disappointment, Jesus knows what it's like to experience joy and happiness, but also betrayal and friends that desert you and pain and suffering and the scandal of being judged by other people people and trying to put in the categories and everything. Jesus, Jesus is absolutely the one who can save us. Jesus is absolutely the one who understands what our life is about, that it's about everything. Christmas is about everything. Christmas is sometimes really hard for people. We think of Christmas as this sweet, sentimental, lovely, happy time. And life isn't always sweet, sentimental, and happy. And so we think maybe Christmas isn't for us during those times. During our times of grief and brokenness and loneliness. Or maybe just how we, we know we've messed up our lives and we don't fit in the way we should be fitting in. But we've, we've done it to ourselves. 
People a lot of times stay away from church during this time because they think they don't fit in and that Christmas isn't for them. And maybe some of you here today are struggling in that very way. In your grief. In your pain. And I just want to say this. I want to say that the opposite is true. That Christmas is absolutely for you. Especially for you. That if you need a Savior. Well... Merry Christmas. Christmas is for all of us. And that sounds like amazing good news to me.